0: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Dialogue Out Loud series. I'm Taylor Petrie, editor of Dialogue, a Journal of Mormon Thought. Today, we're excited to have with us Spencer Greenhall. He holds a PhD in Educational Psychology and Educational Technology from Michigan State University and is currently an assistant professor of information communication technology in the School of Information Science at the University of Kentucky. In his new article, The Correct Domain Name of the Church, Technology, Naming, and Legitimacy in the Latter-day Saint Tradition, Spencer lays out the history of how Latter-day Saints have used the internet, specifically domain names from the 1990s up until the 2018 announcement from church president Russell M. Nelson that the word Mormon and acronym LDS would be retired from official church usage. Join us as we chat with Spencer about his research and the implications of his work for understanding contemporary issues of technology and theology and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Spencer Greenhall, welcome. It's so nice to talk to you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Spencer, can you just start out by explaining what got you interested in looking at the church's use of the Internet and maybe what is a domain name for people who don't know? Sure. Sure. So,
1: I have been interested in the church's use of the internet for quite a while, uh, personally, of course, but then also uh, professionally. The specific impetus for this particular article was shortly after the uh, 2018 announcement by President Russell Nelson that there was going to be this emphasis on the full name of the church. Uh, Matt Bowman at Claremont Graduate University uh, and some of the other fine folks at CGU had invited me to give a presentation at an upcoming conference. Um, about some of the online changes that uh, had resulted from this. They were specifically interested in social media, and that's most of the work that I do is related to social media. Uh, But I also knew that the church had, uh, to some fanfare, changed their domain name. So this is a great point, a a great place to to transition into your other question. A domain name, uh, sometimes we refer to it as a URL, but a domain name is a text-based name that is associated with the website. And these are important um, because websites fundamentally are a collection of files that are hosted on a computer. And actually, the, the authoritative um, identifier for any given website is actually what's called the IP address for the computer that is hosting that website. The problem with an IP address is that it's a series of numbers. It's not particularly easy to commit to memory. And so pretty early on in the history of the internet, there was a recognition that we needed something easier to work with, a sort of text name that could translate into one of these authoritative addresses and just make it easier uh, for humans to reach the website they wanted to do. So for a long time, I knew that the church had been using lds.org now, sometime after 2018, this was uh, around March of 2019, as a matter of fact, they announced that they were going to be switching over to churchofjesuschrist.org. So when I was invited to give this presentation, uh, again, I was focused mostly on social media, but uh, I was interested in finding out if I could figure out the history of this domain name, who had owned it previously, and if I could sort of trace out some of the history of the church's domain name uses over time.
0: So before we get to the specific domain name change that happens in 2018, tell us a little bit about how you go about researching the history of domain names. What methods are available to us is, again, you know, a little bit of an arcane uh, uh, kind of research method, a little bit different than maybe other historians might deal with. So talk to us a little bit about how you do that. Yeah, and
1: that's a great point. I am not a historian. I am not even a traditional social scientist. I'm trained as a social scientist. I don't use some of the same methods that many social scientists use. And I want to make it clear that on one hand, these arcane methods, as you described them, those allow me to find some interesting things that traditional research methods might not be able to find. But I I, I also want to recognize that someone who did interview research, someone who almost acted like an investigative reporter, Would certainly be able to find details that I wasn't able to find. Uh, I specialize though in what I call digital research methods. When we interact with websites, with social media services, and with other digital technologies, we tend to leave traces behind of our interaction uh, with those technologies. And my specialty as a social media and online researcher is to sort of scoop up some of those traces and see if I can make some sense out of them. Uh, I'm often assisted in this by other organizations who are also aware of this potential and also eager to to help these kind of records uh, be uh, available for researchers and even lay people. So uh, in this particular case, I started this investigation with a service called the Wayback Machine. I understand that's a Rocky and Bullwinkle joke that predates me by a little bit, and so I take their word for it. But the Wayback Machine is operated by a nonprofit called the Internet Archive. Who is aware that we are creating so much data by interacting with the internet, by creating these websites, and, and they want to keep a record of all of this? And I think that's a laudable and important goal and almost Sisyphean task. It's next to impossible to try and capture everything on the internet, but they're doing their best to archive websites as they look uh, at certain points of time. So, uh, one thing that I've done with my students before is I've encouraged them to go to the Wayback Machine, this particular website archiving service, and go back to 1997 and see what apple.com looks like, or look up a university website as it exists at a particular point in time. And the Wayback Machine makes that sort of work possible. So, the way that I started uh, on this was by looking at the archives that were made of LDS.org and of Church. Christ.org and other related domain names or rather the websites at those uh, going all the way back to you know the the mid 1990s uh, poked in kind of followed the history of these websites over time and not all of this data well some of this data ended up disappearing from the Internet Archive I go into a little bit of detail on that in the article Uh, that ended up throwing off my uh, efforts a little bit and so I also consulted um, what are called Whois records. These are sort of a um, almost a telephone book for the internet. The, the original purpose is to determine who is operating which domain names. And once some of this data disappeared from the internet archive, I had luckily saved some of that data in the form of screenshots that I could still reference, but I turned to this other source of data as a way of tracing the ownership of domain names over time.
0: That's super helpful for, for laying that out. So. Uh... You know, let's kind of go back to the beginning as the church is adopting the Internet in the 1990s. You mentioned my recollection as a person in their young adulthood at this time period was that it felt kind of late that the church was sort of late to getting a website. You know, uh, there were a lot of uh, uh, sort of questions like, when is this going to happen? It's been a while now. So can you talk a little bit about how the church approaches the Internet in the 1990s when they do so? and the major domain names that they're using during this period. Sure. So the, the first record that I was able to find
1: of a website existing at the domain name lds.org is in November, 1996. So um, this is a couple of years after the World Wide Web has become a thing, some people have certainly beat them to the punch, uh, but they're, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that they, they are not too, too slow about this. Uh, What is interesting to see is that the first couple of instances of a church website uh, are clearly works in progress and are established as such. And so there's a little bit of a booting up process and easing into this. Uh, And the the church starts with LDS.org. At the time, uh, search engines like Google weren't really a thing. And it was uh, seen as tremendously important to have a short, catchy, memorable domain name. And the church had one in the form of LDS. Uh, LDS is a pretty distinctive acronym, and until it became verboten in 2018, it serves really well for this purpose. And so at LDS.org, there is a sort of bare bones website to start with, but most websites at that time look bare bones compared to today's standards. Uh, One thing that stood out to me, though, is it's clear from the beginning that the church is interested in projecting a certain kind of message. They're interested in reinforcing their Christian credentials Uh, in recent months the the church had developed a new logo was leaning into the use of the christus statue to communicate a sort of essential christian identity and so even on the earliest versions of the church's website that new logo that christus statue these things are out there and they are sending a signal we are a christian organization jesus christ is important to us in ways that will become familiar in 2018 as the church can you know, doubles or triples or quadruples down on that message and some of those same
0: symbols. So they're also adopting mormon.org in this era as well. Can you tell us a little bit about how that comes about and why they have these two different domain names, lds.org and mormon.org, and what the how, how that sort of evolves over time as well? Sure thing so uh one thing
1: that's important to note is that someone beats the church to the punch when it comes to mormon.org and actually also domain names like mormon.com and mormon.net these days if someone is operating on the internet uh, there is an assumption that you should buy up all of the domain names that are related to you and your imagery your branding if you want to use those terms your your identity uh and you know if those assumptions had been present in 1996 that the church likely would have purchased several domain names at the same time but you know the internet's pretty new uh, the world wide web is even newer people don't quite know what they're doing with it yet and that's not just the church it's everybody out there and so the, the church is happy to buy lvs.org but other interested parties end up snatching up other of these domain names. mormon.net and uh, mormon.org go to a Latter-day Saint, a private individual who is a fan of the church Uh uh, and wants to help sort of build up an an unofficial Latter-day Saint presence on the internet. mormon.com actually goes to a pornography website for some time, but eventually a private individual uh, buys that because they understand that uh, there are going to be negative consequences to mormon.com redirecting to, to this kind of website. Now. As we closer to the 2000s, 2001, 2002, uh, the church understands that the Salt Lake Winter Olympics are coming up. This is an incredible opportunity for the church to sort of get its name out there in the world. And it's really important to uh, to have an outward-facing presence that is going to uh, put their best foot forward. And so in the years leading up to the 2002 Winter Olympics, there's a concerted effort on the part of the church to snatch up some of these domain names and. So, Uh, that they're able to do so. And uh, mormon.org, as we sort of, well, not as we know it today, but as we knew it for a long time, came out during that time. And the idea was that you would have an lds.org, which is an official inward-looking web presence. It's mostly for members. It's for official communications. It's for people who are sort of already in the loop and want to catch up on general conference and and things like that. mormon.org, on the other hand, is in some ways uh, an acknowledgment that uh, not everybody knows the acronym, yes, it's an outward-facing presence. Mm. It's very much missionary-focused, it's hello, this is who we are, this is uh, what we want to tell you about ourselves. So for a long time, LDS.org exists as the sort of official inward-looking presence, Mormon.org is more of a missionary effort facing outward, um, still you know, operated under the umbrella of the church, uh, but with two kind of different um, purposes going on.
0: So it's also uh, at, at a certain stage of development for Mormon.org. Um, it becomes a little bit of a, a a Web 2.0 where members can upload their I'm a Mormon campaign, you know, profiles and so on. What is the church sort of doing as it's experimenting with the evolution of the Internet itself during this era? So I, I see. So this is around 2010 that we
1: start to see a new mormon.org emerge. There have been changes to the website before then. I don't mean to, to discount those, but this is really a major shift in how the website is operating. And it's in response to two things. So one thing that is going on at this time is that the word Mormon has become uh, more common in the public sphere. It's become common in pop culture. We've got phenomena like sister wives that are out there and that are uh, you know, that there's additional attention being paid to some of these fundamentalist polygamous groups that also use the word Mormon. And so the church has this vested interest in reclaiming the word. They've always had, right, at least since the early 2000s, um, th- this, this troubled relationship with the word. But with the presence of shows like Big Love and Sister Wives, with additional attention to fundamentalist groups in the media, it becomes important for the Church to backtrack a little bit on some of the hesitance that's shown to use that word and really reclaim it for themselves and say, no, you know, we are the true Mormons. This is what Mormons looks like. The other thing that I think the Church is responding to with this uh, major revamp of Mormon.org is we have had the emergence of sites like Facebook, sites like Twitter, uh, websites like YouTube, And as you put it, these are often referred to as a web 2.0 phenomenon. There's an expectation that the internet is a little bit more interactive than it used to be. Rather than looking at static web pages, people ought to be able to create content. People ought to be able to interact with each other. And this was true before, but there there were technical hurdles that you had to get over. And sites like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube are making it easier for everyday users of the internet to jump on and contribute something. And so Mormon.org starts taking on some of the aspects of these social networking sites, these social media platforms, and allowing everyday people to share their own stories at a time where that's seen as more authentic on the internet, that people are able to share more of themselves and have a platform to do it on. And so Mormon.org is responding first to a reclaiming of the word Mormon, but then also it's responding to um, a more...
0: Um, a more bottom-up and interactive internet. So I think we've covered uh, everything prior to 2018 pretty well, but you can catch us up if there's something that we missed there. But tell us a little bit about what happens in 2018. What is President Nelson's announcement? How is that then affecting the churches LDS.org and Mormon.org, the two words that now become somewhat forbidden for for the church? Uh, the, The major ways that they've defined themselves for over 20 years on the internet are now going away uh, what effect does that have
1: so uh, i i expect most listeners are going to be at least somewhat familiar with president nelson's announcement but it's very clear um, from the beginning days of this announcement which happens if i remember correctly in august 2018 uh, that this is doubling or tripling or quadrupling down on something that the church has kind of played with before that uh, there have been efforts to move away from the word Mormon, there have been efforts to move away from the acronym LDS, but this is pretty clearly um, a, I mean, a real push to do this uh, that 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 is going to eclipse anything that has happened in the past. And you know, as you mentioned, uh, this is going to stand in tension with the the presence on the internet that the church already has. So it has this website, mormon.org, the word Mormon, we're not so happy about anymore. It also has the website lds.org, and acronyms are seen as, again, counter to this purpose of emphasizing the calling of the church. So there's a need for a new domain name to replace one or both of these long-standing websites. Um, This is also true, and this isn't something I get into in the paper a lot, it's also true of social media presence, and that's interesting to look at as well. But here I'm concentrating on the domain names. There's a need to reach out and find something. Now there's a recognition that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.org may be a little bit too unwieldy to type into a web browser, but the church has embraced the sort of official abbreviated name of the Church of Jesus Christ. So, um, and again, some of this is speculation because all I have are the digital records that, that resulted from, these processes that I'm going to speculate about. But it seems pretty clear to me that there's an effort to say, can we work this official abbreviated name into our domain name somehow? Now, that that, that all makes sense. The problem with that though, is that domain names are unique and domain names are privately traded. So if someone else already owns churchofjesuschrist.org, or if someone else already owns the Christ.org. Uh, to, both of which could be good solutions to this pickle that the church finds itself in, then uh, you know the church is going to have to negotiate with these parties and see if they will be willing to part ways with the domain names that they own and that they are going to continue controlling so long as they pay a nominal um, renewal fee every few years. And that's actually the situation that the church finds itself in. Uh, There is one party that owns the name churchofjesuschrist.org. There's another party that owns the domain name thechurchofjesuschrist.org. And so this becomes a point where the church is going to have to enter into negotiations in order to get what it wants.
0: So uh, this is such a fascinating element of the story, and and it might be helpful to lay out the timeline of when the church purchases churchofjesuschrist.org in relationship to the announcement that they're moving away from Mormon and LDS and um, and who they purchase it from, because that's one of the really kind of curious parts of this story and and uh, helps us to understand the larger set of arguments that you're making here. But tell tell us the, the timeline and who they get it from.
1: All right. Thank you. And yes, this is a fascinating detail. This is the detail that convinced me this is worth writing about. Uh, I mentioned earlier, this had started off as in inquiry into the church's social media presence. And then I was dabbling on Wayback Machine, and it wasn't until I figured out a couple of details that I'm about to share that I thought, oh, there's really something here, there's something interesting. So uh, to to, cut a, to make a long story short, uh, churchofjesuschrist.org and thechurchofjesuschrist.org are, as I mentioned, already owned by other bodies. What makes this especially interesting though is that the owners of these other domain names are not simply other private individuals. They're not simply um, other Christian churches. The owners of both of these domain names are actually part of the broader Smith-Rigdon uh, religious movement, what we might call the Latter-day Saint movement or Mormonism, writ broadly. So that is to say that churchofjesuschrist.org and The org are both owned by churches that trace their lineage back to Joseph Smith Jr.'s 1830 church, uh, and that claim in their own way to be the legitimate successors. They are, in a way, theological and denominational rivals with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints base in Salt Lake City, Utah. So I'll focus here on churchofjesuschrist.org because that is clearly the the domain name that the church wound up with. But this domain name is owned by a small group uh, located near Independence, Missouri, like many of these groups that trace their way back to Joseph Smith Jr. Um, We don't know much about this group. There's some documentation about it, a little bit of reporting in the popular media. Um, Some of it is is hearsay and allegations. It's not one of these well-documented Groups, Even folks who are aware of other churches within this broader denominational umbrella may not be familiar with this group. But what makes uh, some of the timeline here interesting is that this group, which goes by the name The Church of Jesus Christ in Zion, had renewed their domain name in January 2018. So uh, at the same time that Russell Nelson is uh, becoming president of the church, they have put down the money to be able to control churchofjesuschrist.org dot org through January twenty twenty two. They they put down the money con- to control it for another four years. And again, in four years, they're going to have the first option to renew that again.
0: Just just to interject really quickly, yes. Tell us how much money it is to renew, just so that we're 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 clear on that. Again, for people who don't know, okay. So th- this is a good question. If you are buying
1: a domain name, just kind of off the bat, uh, when I went and bought Spencer before, uh, for example, uh, I, I was paying about $20. Okay. That's, that's relatively cheap. If you are buying a domain name for the first time, it's going to cost you between 15 and hundred dollars. And it's going to cost you about that much money to continue to renew it on a yearly ish basis. Um, however, once you are buying domain names on the secondary market, that there are no fixed prices. It comes down to uh, person A and person B, and they are going to negotiate with each other, and they are going to come to terms with uh, how much a particular domain costs. That could be cheap. You know, a domain name could cost uh, a single dollar to change hands because there's a friendly relationship, and there's no real need to hold on to a particular domain name. But it could also easily run into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And there are documented cases of domain names that have been bought and sold for millions or even in rare cases, tens of millions of dollars. So we're really talking about a free market situation here where it's the the perceived value of the domain name. Um, It could be cheap, but in high profile cases, you know, it, it, it can cost a lot of money to exchange one of these.
0: So the Church of Jesus Christ in Zion has paid their, you know, hundred dollars to renew for four years or so, and uh, around this same time, it seems that the Ch- the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints is now uh, has a uh, a new mandate, a new expressed interest, if it, even if it hasn't been announced yet, and uh, obviously need to buy this as a uh, on the open market, as you said, and make a make an offer, make make a negotiation. So, um, so it's clear that they're doing that in the interim between January and October? Is that is that timeline working? Yeah, well, so what happens is, again, January um,
1: of 2018, the Church of Jesus Christ in Zion renews the domain. They're going to hold on to it for four years. Um, and they are using it as what's called a secondary domain name, uh, sort of like, let's see. So uh, if you still type in lds.org into your browser, it's still gonna go to the church's official website. Um, It's not the main name of the website, but it's still being operated as a second domain name. The Church of Jesus Christ in Zion is still, it's using churchofjesuschrist.org in that same way. It's not the main way you get to their website, but it's a functional way. But they've got no reason to let go of it. It's not that expensive. They're holding on to it through 2022. But then what happens is in August, President Nelson makes this announcement that the church is really going to emphasize the full name of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. What's interesting is right around this time, the Church of Jesus Christ in Zion actually decouples this domain name from their main website. And so they are no longer using it um, as a sort of secondary way to get to the website. They've disconnected it. And given it a sort of sense of ambiguity that maybe it's available for sale at this point, or at least we're not actively using it for anything. So the the, the it, we you know it, it seems pretty coincidental that these two things are happening at the same time. I don't I, personally, I don't think it is a coincidence. Then what happens is something in the background is happening over the next couple of months, but because by October 2018, the Um, The domain name churchofjesuschrist.org is no longer associated with this Missouri-based group. It is clearly associated in the internet records with Intellectual Reserve Inc., which is the body that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uses to manage its own property. So right around the same time that President Nelson is making his announcement, someone at Church of Jesus Christ in Zion is flipping a switch to say, maybe we don't need this anymore. Maybe we're not planning on using it anymore, even though we have access to it for another three and a half years. And then within a couple of months, some sort of agreement has been reached so that that domain name can go to intellectual reserve in Salt Lake City.
0: And we don't know the details of, of how that transaction comes about or, or the cost of it, but uh, but presumably, since uh, the announcement has already been made that this is the direction that the church is going, the value of that might might even have gone up as a result of the the prior announcement? That's what I would guess. Uh, the, so the man
1: who runs the Church of Jesus Christ in Zion, his name is Roger Billings. And there are two things about him that I think are significant when we're making these sort of uh, speculations or asking these sort of questions. First of all, he's a technically oriented guy. Now, throughout his entire career, he's been involved with technology, with the internet. He got into a fight with Novell in the 1980s or 1990s. He's someone who feels like he can hold his own technologically. So that gives us some reason to think that he knows the value of what a domain name is worth. The the second thing that we know about him, right? I mentioned that he picked a fight with Novell. He grew up in Utah. He grew up a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And in comments that he's made, in um, it, two different media outlets around the, um, 2020, wh- you know, he's made some comments that suggest that he feels some friction between him and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the, the the church that he grew up in and eventually broke away from as part of the leadership of this new movement. Uh, so, first of all, he seems to be pretty technically savvy. Second of all, he thinks that the church has it out for him, or at least has intimated as much in some of the comments that he's made to the press. That speaks to me like someone who is in a position to demand a lot of money for a domain. We don't know how much. Uh, the The records that I am looking at would not be able to tell us how much. An investigative reporter uh, might be able to get this number, but uh, also maybe not. Maybe there's an disclosure agreement that's in force somewhere. It's a big mystery right uh, right now, but I think there are some compelling reasons to believe that this is a, a um, you know, an expensive transaction it's i uh, you know it's certainly not a $20 uh, trading of domain names between friends
0: so speculative of course but an intriguing you know for those of us who are interested in in that it's a it's an intriguing uh uh, uh question so we've laid out the history we've sort of understand the the broader picture here that these changes have taken place but you're kind of giving us another level of analysis here especially as you're you're seeing the way that the church is negotiating with other restorationist a uh, 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 broad umbrella Mormonism uh, 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 movements here. And so tell us a little bit about what your analysis is is showing about how the church is engaging with the Internet and with don- domain names. So uh, one thing that has always been interesting to me when we look at
1: uh, online Mormonism, both in the way that individual Latter-day Saints engage with the Internet and also how the institutional church engages with the Internet, um, and this is something that has come up in other research, not just my own. But there are always questions of authority involved. And for this paper, I've described it both as authority and also as legitimacy. To, to put it simply, to, uh, technologies have their own systems of authority that surround them. The domain name system uh, is a system that uh, determines authority and determines legitimacy through the free market. With a couple of uh, relatively rare exceptions, the first to buy a domain name has claim to that. And they get to hold on to it for as long as they want to, unless they can convince someone else to pay them for that. And so when the church moves into the realm of the internet, uh, and in this case, into the realm of domain names to assert its own authority and assert its own legitimacy, it also has to tangle with these independent systems of authority and legitimacy that exist out there. And so even though the church obviously sees domain names, sees social media accounts, sees these other digital uh, technologies as avenues for promoting themselves, for promoting their own authority, for promoting their own legitimacy, that there are times that they have to yield to the authority and the legitimacy that exists within these systems. And I think that this 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 tension, this interaction between the Church of Jesus Christ and Zion, a very small, pretty obscure Mormon group, and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints based in Salt Lake City, well-known, quite wealthy, rather influential, helps to illustrate uh, some of these tensions that come, come up uh, at the risk of... Um, of exaggerating things a little bit this is a little bit of a david and goliath situation we've got one small group we've got one larger group uh, and yet the small group can hold on to that domain name for as long as they want to as long as they remember to pay their renewal fees so long uh, or until um, they get an offer that is better for them and so despite the the stark difference between these two different denominations under the broader Mormon umbrella, one that, you know, the smaller, weaker, less well-known one maintains an advantage because of the socio-technical system that's associated with domain names. And we can draw that out to other technologies as well, right? Uh, One of the interesting things to me as a social media researcher is the way that the the way that authority and legitimacy work on social media is not necessarily the same way that it works in a Latter-day Saint context. Everyday members' um, heterodox voices can speak up, and if the conditions are right, they can reach a, an an audience that is just as large as any general conference sermon. Uh, and so, social media tends to flatten authority. Uh, in a way that the hierarchical Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints does not do. And so whenever the church operates within these technological contexts, it has to wrestle with the fact that the way it sees authority and legitimacy is not necessarily the way that those are seen in the system it's trying to interact in.
0: So uh, we've talked about authority and legitimacy here and how it's negotiating with rival religious claims and groups, as well as secular institutions like the Internet regulating bodies and so on here, too. But you also tell us a little bit of an interesting story about power and you allude to this earlier. And so I want to make sure that we that we talk about it because. I did the same thing probably that you did the day that the church of Jesus Christ.org was announced. I went to the Wayback Machine and discovered that there was this other group that had owned it before and I tweeted about it. I was like, wow, isn't this interesting who it was? And and uh they've got this sort of like little dirty history of this domain if you went if you go to the Wayback Machine. And uh and then you notice that in the course of your own research that that history gets erased. And I wanted you to just sort of tell us that story and and how you discovered what happens and what that might suggest or mean here for the way that the church is also using its power and authority in these spheres.
1: Okay. So if uh, some of my earlier comments were speculation, this is a little bit more so because the, the details are kind of scarce, but we can still piece together a compelling story, a most likely story of what happened here. Uh, So Taylor, as you suggested, you know, I start this story off by going into the Wayback Machine by discovering who the previous owners of churchofjesuschrist.org are. And in doing so, right, we find clear evidence that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has had to negotiate with one of its theological rivals in order to purchase something from them. Um, This smaller church beat them to the punch. Um, And, you know, it's a little bit of egg on the church's face. On one hand, this is a typical business practice, a typical typical organizational practice. It's certainly not a major strike on the church's record, but it's awkward and embarrassing, especially for a church that doesn't like to acknowledge that it has theological rivals within the broader Mormon movement, uh, much less have to negotiate with them to get what it wants. So, um, for once in my life, (laughs) I am... Uh, preparing slides early for a presentation. And so I'm lucky enough, I take some screenshots, I I start putting together a slide deck for this. This is the only time in my life that I've done this, and I'm very grateful that I've done so. But uh, this conference ends up getting delayed, and also I've started really early, so I keep having to go back to the Wayback Machine earlier and over and over again, so that I can continue looking at the data and fine tune my slides a little bit. One day I log in, I go back to these records that I know exist, and I find that they are no longer present on there. And eventually, uh, after a lot of exploration, I realize that all, of, all records of what websites existed at Church of Jesus Christ or prior to March 2019, which is the time that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints publicly acknowledged that it was using that domain name, All of those previous records have disappeared. So any life of this domain name prior to the LDS Church's acquisition of the domain name has simply disappeared. So uh, I'm a little frustrated by this. I I reach out to the folks at the the Internet Archive who are very kind, respond to me that they cannot comment on any particular case. I understand that. They also do suggest to me, though, that there does exist the policy uh, within their organization that The owner of a domain name can ask uh, for certain materials to be reviewed. I think that's a fine policy, generally speaking. Uh, what bothers me about this particular implementation, though, um, is that um, you know what seems to be going on here is that the, the current controller of a domain name is erasing material uh, that uh, that uh, was actually associated with the previous owner of a domain name, uh, sort of sanitizing history to make things nicer and neater. Again, uh, the Internet Archive could not comment on any particular case. I do not blame them for that. Uh, And I'm appreciative that they helped me as much as they want to. But what seems to be uh, the case here is that someone at Salt Lake realized that these traces of web history were available, recognized that it could be awkward uh, for Latter-day Saints or critics of the church to run into, uh, or even researchers like me to run into, And had a chat with someone at the Internet Archive asking if they could maybe clean things up so that no one stumbled on these facts that I have now published
0: in an article. Fascinating. Spencer, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show and to talk about your research with us. Thank you so much. It's been a really uh, great experience to talk with you. We hope that our listeners have enjoyed this conversation and have learned something about the church in the internet age. If you'd like to learn more, check out Spencer Greenhall's The Correct Domain Name of the Church, Technology, Naming and Legitimacy in the Latter-day Saint Tradition in the Spring 2023 issue of Dialogue, A Journal of Mormon Thought. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues and don't forget to leave us a review or get in touch with any comments or questions. We hope that you'll tune in for future episodes of our podcast and don't forget to follow and subscribe on YouTube as well. Be sure to check out the whole range of shows in the Dialogue Podcast Network. Hello, this is Andrew Hall, co-host of the Dialogue Book Report. Each episode, Christina Rossetti and I talk to brilliant minds from the world of Mormon publishing. In recent episodes, we sat down with Christine Haglund and Terrell Givens to discuss the life and legacy of Eugene England. In upcoming episodes, we will be talking to novelist and 19th century women's rhetoric scholar Rosalind Eves about her recent young adult novel, Beyond the Map Stars, and the literature and religion scholar Charles Inouye about his memoir, Zion Earth, Zen Sky, and the Asian-American experience within Mormonism. Subscribe to the show wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And check out our past episodes by going to dialogjournal.com. Dialogue Podcast Network.